This is the Great IO Get Together, originally recorded on YouTube Live. Although you can listen to the show as a podcast, you only get the full experience by visiting thegig.online/youtube. Welcome to the Great IO Get Together. On tonight's show, quips and queries about the world of work as IO psychology comes alive. Now, please welcome our hosts, Richard and Tara. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Great IO Get Together. I'm Richard. This is my co-host, Tara. We are here at the 2022 Annual Convention of the American Psychological Association. We're going to check out the scene, see what kinds of psychology is happening outside of our usual area. It's yeah. be a great time. Yeah, let's get to it. So my name is Laura O. I'm currently a graduate student at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. Is this the first time you've been to the APA conference? Yes, it is my first time here. What do you think so far? Um, I think everything has been great. All the different sessions have been really interesting. It's just really cool to see um, other divisions from the psychology um, field, just to kind of all come together into one area. I agree. Well, tell us about your poster here. So um, me and my colleagues did a um, research on a new psychological safety measure. So we kind of took Ed Munson's um, scale as it's very established and we kind of went through and kind of critiqued the different things and then try to come up with um, a new perspective. Feeling how safe does an employee feel in taking risks within the team? So that was kind of our main focus when constructing the items. That's great. Why would you say psychological safety is important these days? Um, it's so important just because, um, as we have also found, it helps increase performance and just the overall um, quality of the ideas and projects that are shared. If when people feel safe in a team, they're more willing to contribute ideas and be more creative and just a better um, work life in general. Thanks for letting us talk to you today. Can you start by telling us your name? Yeah, my name is Archita Datta and I'm from India. And is this your first APA conference? Yes, it is. <laughs> what do you think so far? I think it's wonderful. I think there are two, uh, many divisions and I think it's just not limited to what you are doing, but you, can, you get an opportunity to collaborate with other people, with other divisions. So, yeah. Can you tell us about your poster here? Yeah. Uh, so I work in the area of gender and organization. So my poster talks about changing mentoring needs of women across their non-linear career paths. What's the most important finding here? Women's mentoring needs actually vary uh, across their career paths and are different from men. So the career phases that men are in and the kind of mentoring needs they have are very different for uh, that of women's because in case of women they have a lot of juggling to do uh, in terms of their family and uh, trying to balance their career at the same time. By happenstance and fortune we have bumped into Blake Allen and Ryan Duffy and so let's see how their conference is going. So first tell us your name and what you do. Um, I'm Ryan Duffy. I'm a professor at University of Florida. I'm on the, I am the editor of Journal of Vocational Behavior. Uh, I'm Blake Allen. I'm an associate professor and program director of the Counseling Psychology Program at the University of Houston. And are you frequent APA attendees, or is this your first time? Yeah, probably like my 15th time, I would say. Wow. Do you get a prize for that? Um, maybe when you get to 20, but I think not yet. <laughs> yeah. And how about you, Blake? Um, I have come every year since 2010 except during COVID. Amazing. So one of the things I was very excited to see you walking by, so I'd love to hear about your plans for the journal. This is a journal that lots of IO psychologists love to read. 
So you probably, maybe a lot of you have seen that now we have a 12 impact factor at JVB. So I think it's going to keep moving the quality of submissions we have coming in, keep moving, and the number we have coming in. I would say that like my biggest goal for the journal when I'm starting it now is to try to bring in younger faculty who maybe are more intimidated by trying to publish in JVB, giving them like a really good, positive, supportive experience for submissions, trying to do our best to kind of broaden the number of people that feel like this can be a home journal for them. So with the goal of like having positive experiences in the beginning so that for their, their careers, they can kind of view JVB as a home. So that would be my goal is like across different disciplines, people saying JVB and then being like, this is like my top tier place that I want to send papers to. What would you say are the major challenges you're trying to tackle? I think the biggest challenge is that as the quality of scholarship keeps going up and studies and papers get more complex and bigger data sets, longitudinal data experiments, I actually think our biggest challenge is is trying to understand what is the bar for accepted papers and what does it mean if we keep raising that bar? What does that mean for people who don't have a lot of resources to do those types of studies? So, like, there's a lot of conversation we're having amongst me and the AEs right now about, like, trying to figure out that process where we don't end up in a place where it's just the people with the most resources who can run five-year longitudinal studies being able to publish here. Yeah, I imagine it's quite intimidating for graduate students to think about that sort of thing. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, we're like basically a 93% rejection rate. So even for well-established people, your modal experience is a rejection of the journal. So you can imagine like a new person. It just doesn't go well most of the time, unfortunately. You know. That was a very hard lesson for me to learn, just experiencing rejection, being okay with it, separating rejection from your kind of self-worth. I tell, tell my graduate students, you know, it's like a, the shotgun approach is you apply to a lot, you submit to a lot, and you get that 10% or whatever it is. And I remember when I was in graduate school, I applied for this grant for the Society of Consulting Psychology. At the time, I didn't know what that was, so it was totally irrelevant. And I remember the reviews were just excoriating, like, this is a totally irrelevant study. Uh, I don't even know why they submitted it here. And then I read through all of these excoriating, terrible comments. And then right at the bottom, it said, congratulations, you have won this grant from the Society of Consulting Psychology. Because like no one else applied to this. So I tell my students that like you just need to go and ride with the rejection and, and those things come out. This is normal to be criticized for your work and see it as a good thing and a way to be better. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Can you start by telling us your name? Yes, my name is Kelly Burke. So we were looking at uh, tenure-track women in STEM positions uh, who were working during COVID, and we were curious what the demands that COVID were placing on them and the supports that they had and needed. So we basically asked them, how has COVID impacted you? What is it that you still need? What have you learned about yourself and your work? Uh, and it painted a pretty grim picture. So most of the women were, uh, they felt a lot of burnout, a lot of stress, um, particularly concerns with their research as they were trying to achieve tenure, but COVID put a halt on a lot of their research, the ability to get into their labs, how much funding they had, et cetera. 
So uh, a lot of stress around those things. Uh, women felt that the supports that they had were not sufficient. Um, like uh, the 10 year clock extensions were helpful for some women, but not for others. So they said, you know, we would like some more institutional support. Uh, we would like more communication, transparency from our universities. Uh, to the extent that some women said they were thinking about leaving academia, uh, hence the title, I need a break or I might quit. Uh, so some had actually left, some were thinking about it. It was just um, exacerbating some of the pre-existing sexism, gender discrimination in the workplace that women in STEM face uh, as minorities in the field. Well, it certainly aligns with the experiences of lots of people I know. Is there anything that can be done about this problem? I think talking about it uh, is really important in the beginning. You know, raising awareness about how the, the leaky pipeline of women in STEM, what are the supports that they actually need, talking to the women themselves. Specifically, what they need are supports from the institution. So a lot of it needs to be systemic level. You know, the, the deans and the, the people in charge at the university creating policies that are family-friendly and women-friendly uh, to help warm up their workplace so that they feel welcome there. We use the psychology of working theory because it is a framework that is very social justice focused and uh, emphasizes liberation and thinking about, you know, what are the systemic level factors factors that can influence women's workplace success and flourishing and well-being. Women need time to rest, right? That's part of the psycho working theory. They need adequate time to rest. They need adequate compensation. And that those were some of the things challenged during COVID. Terrific. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today. Enjoy the rest of your conference. Yeah, thank you so much. We are here at the APA convention, and we're sitting here with two of SIOP's representatives to the APA council. Can you introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm, I'm Gavin O'Shea. And I am an IO psychologist working at Human Resources Research Organization, or HUMRO. And I'm Jeff McHenry, and I do leadership and organizational development work, and I'm self-employed, and I live in Seattle. Thank you so much both for being here. Gary Carter and Tammy Allen just didn't even show up. So Can you say their names for the record again, please? Tammy Allen, Gary Carter. There's four council reps. There's only two here. And they did not show up, is what you're saying? We have no idea where they are. Why don't we spend some time with our two present and beloved APA council reps and find out more about PSYOP and APA relationships? So first, maybe you can just tell us, what is the Council of Representatives? What do you do there? Well, we're, we're the legislative body for APA, so we set policy. Um, we identify the key priorities for APA that then get executed by staff and the boards of APA. So we are, we're like Congress. We're a little bit like Congress in setting policy. Would you say you are more or less functional than Congress? Oh, I would say we are more. The people who disagree generally like each other, talk to each other, socialize with each other. So I think, I think we have a leg up. Can you tell me about the most interesting fight you've seen at council recently? Wow, the most interesting fight was probably term limits, where it got... We had a group of young, more diverse psychologists who felt like there was an entrenched clique of older psychologists who would continue to come back and serve term after term after term. And so we actually had a motion to establish term limits, and it got pretty personal. I mean, there, was, there were tears, there was emotion, there were fingers pointed, there were accusations. It was pretty cool. I've heard that you actually managed to win that fight by using data. One of the things I did was, you know, being the cool, calm, rational IO psychologist that I am, I went out, I looked at some of the literature. There's not a lot out there, mind you, but I looked at some of the literature and what did it say about the impact of setting term limits on boards? And there was a lot of evidence that it led to more innovation, that it led to more diversity. Uh, it um, 
it, it even distributed power more within the organization and led to better collaboration. So I shared that. Uh, it was also interesting to be in a position where you share data in a scientific association and somebody attacks you for sharing data that they say, I'm sure that doesn't apply to us. <laughs> Your data is insulting my feelings. How dare you? <laughs> exactly. Uh, the effect was silence. Absolute silence. Stunned and amazed. You could hear Jeff's footsteps walking across the floor, even though there was 200 people in the room after he finished sharing his data. So we're at the APA convention. PSYOP also has an annual conference. And so some people might be wondering, why is PSYOP at APA? Well, I can talk about why, why I'm here. So I did some coaching research. And so I thought, okay, I'm looking at what behaviors coaches engage in. And I thought that would actually be really of interest, I hope, to folks from Division 13, consulting psychology, maybe counseling psychology, educational psychology. So I thought for presenting that kind of research, APA might actually be the best venue. To add on that, the, it, this is one of the few opportunities that we have to meet with people who have you know similar training in psychology and share our concern about performance, well-being, learning. But they're coming at it sometimes from different angles or working in different settings. And it's a great opportunity to learn from their experience, share ideas, and that's where innovation comes from most of the time. And you two just did a session sharing what's new at the council with um, Division 14 members. How did that session go? Um, I think it was great. We got some terrific questions. Um, we were happy that we had double-digit attendance. Um, it, was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Can never take that for granted, right? Right. No, and, and I think, you know, one of the things that people were really interested in was um, we had several people who were involved in teaching psychology uh, at an undergraduate level or had been involved at a high school level even, even. And so there was a lot of interest in, hey, how can we make I.O. more accessible to people early in career so they know what great job opportunities exist here and how much fun we are as I.O. psychologists? I know that the conference is really a busy time for you. Is there anything else you want to let SIOP members know about what it's like to be here and what the experience is? I would say one thing we do want people to know about is is we really need IO psychologists to get more involved in APA boards and committees. So uh, an email went out a few days ago asking people to self-nominate or nominate others. Please, please look for that, and we would love to get people's names submitted through that process. It's very easy to do. That's great. So I know about some of the boards. I know there's the Board on Educational Affairs, the Board on Scientific Affairs, there's Public Practice professional practice. What are some of the other ones that IOs might like to know about? There's the Advocacy Coordinating Committee, which you forgot even though you served on it. <laughs> There's a, a committee, uh, CPTA, Psychological Testing and Assessment. Um, there's a Board of Convention Affairs that helps plan what the program is here. There's an Ethics Committee. And then I actually chair a board, uh, it's not a board, a committee right now on applied psychology. It's looking at how applied psychologists can come together and make an impact in APA. So that's another opportunity. Terrific, thanks. And one more time for the record, who are those two council reps that failed to show up? Um, Dr. Gary Carter and Dr. Tammy Allen. Tisk tisk. So you've given us a lot of good information about you know why someone might like to come here. What do you see in the future for the relationship between PSYOP and APA? Now, I just said I didn't have an answer to that question, and I thought you were going to put that in front of Jeff's face. But Funny how that works, isn't it? Um, I think the future is greater collaboration among the applied disciplines of psychology. So IO, um, psychology and law, sports, exercise, science. So I think through council, those groups have been working more and more together, and I think that's just going to spread. I think 
one of the things APA is trying to do is they're trying to demonstrate the relevance of psychology to a broader range of settings. And I think, I think psychology recognizes that they maybe over-pivoted a little much on health and health services for a period of time. So the last few years, they've been really interested in how do we, uh, how do we help communicate the relevance of the workplace for psychological work, which, of course, is our sweet spot, right? So I think we have a great opportunity to work with them on how they, how they demonstrate the relevance of psychology to more settings and, and help influence in those settings so that decisions that get made in those settings are based on great science, and that's what we're all about, right? Great science and then its application. Yeah, people struggle with abstraction. When you can put it in a context of an experience they've had or that their loved one have had, it really makes it a lot easier to make that case. Well, I appreciate you both being here very much, and, um, and I am confident that APA is in good hands. Oh, the times were hard and the wages low. Leave a Johnny, leave a I guess it's time for us to go And it's time for us to leave her Leave a Johnny, leave Oh, leave a Johnny, leave For the voyage is done and the winds don't blow And it's time for us to leave her That's it for another gig. To stay in touch, subscribe on YouTube, check out our website at thegig.online, join our LinkedIn group, sign up for our email notification list, and join our Discord. So many ways to connect. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time for another great I.O. get-together.